Thank you all for your grace in putting up with my cough. I do apologize again for that. If I had the choice of not bringing it, I would have left it at home. So, let's uh, start with prayer. Father, we know that as we try to lay a foundation, we, we recognize that there's no other foundation to lay except what you have laid. And God, I pray that the thing that you've convinced us of most from yesterday is that these are not new steps, but these are ancient steps. This is the means that you have ordained to accomplish the great end of glorifying your great name by redeeming a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God, I pray that you call us to walk in your path. Help us, Lord, as we open your scriptures and we seek to learn today. God, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear. Be glorified, God, in this time. Be magnified. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our sacrifice. And Lord, you are certainly worthy of us taking the gospel to the nations. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. For this I ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, we are going to pick back up on page 7. We did not make it very far. I acknowledge my failure. Um, but thank you for walking with me on it. Um, so to kind of cover some of the things that we've discussed so far, we, we've talked about really one key thing, and that's this idea that we want to let theology drive. So yesterday I talked to you, and I don't have clever ways of saying things. I wish I did. But all I basically asked you to do last night was to believe the Bible. Now, we are around people, if you're like where I live anyway, I don't know, but where I live, there's loads of people that will say that they believe the Bible, but their life does not line up to prove it. That is one of those things that just, it, it doesn't make sense. That people think that they can have a relationship with the, the God of the universe and it not impact their life. And so, this is one of those things that the Scripture tells us. You know them by their works, by their fruit. Why? Because if you believe, we can tell. Right? We ought to be able to tell. And so, lots of churches want to say that they're Bible-believing churches, but it makes no impact on them. And I'm not asking you to be one of those. I'm asking you to be one of those that believe it and cannot help but to let it have a great impact on the way that you do life and ministry. Okay? So we talked about let theology drive. So theology is going to drive us to action. Those things have to do that. This, the belief that the only cure for man's great need is Jesus Christ. There's no hope anywhere else except in Jesus Christ. There's no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ alone. That's the only hope for the world. There's no other answer. There's no other salvation. That's something that we have to... That's a line in the sand, is it not? Yeah. Right? It's a line in the sand. This is something that we believe and that causes us to therefore take the gospel to the nations. These are the things that we talked about. Then we talked about how it's not just those um, theology that drives us to action, but theology must continue to direct our actions. We cannot say, well, the, Jesus is the only hope for the world, so let's just go get people to believe in Jesus. And we'd start changing the way that we do evangelism to say, well, we just are going for numbers. Right? Do whatever it takes to be, have people say that they believe, and we'll, we'll think God will be merciful upon them, even though they've not repented and believed like they're called to do. Getting somebody to check a box is not what we're aiming for. Why? Because theology requires us 
to have this understanding of what true conversion is. And so we go and proclaim the truth, not to gain a number so that we can tell our people and get, get more money. We go and proclaim the gospel so that someone might be saved. So at Disciple the Nations, we'll never report numbers. We have people that come to faith and make professions of faith, and we don't, we don't share those numbers. Why? Because we're not sure who's real. Right? It's the same thing you do in your local church. You come through, somebody makes a profession of faith, you see active faith, or what we appear to have active faith, and you baptize them, and what do you do? You walk alongside them. If in five years, ten years, fifty years, whatever, the person leaves the faith, you don't say, you're fine because you made this decision. Faith perseveres to the end. True faith does not fail. It does not falter. And so this is why we walk together in a body of believers, right? So the same thing that we expect you to do in your local churches, we try to do overseas. Because there's not one theology that's good here and another theology that works in Africa. That's not the way it works. Okay? So, we talked about um, acknowledging our necessity to figure out what the mission is, and it's not us to invent it. It's ours to receive. Because Christ is the head of the church, and He has declared to us what the mission is. And so we are just called to follow Him. Okay? Very simple, I know. But that's what we're called to do. So we receive the mission, and then one of the things we talked about, we spent some time, and I hope it was valuable to you, but we talked about bewaring of mission drift. That natural tendency to get away from this. The natural tendency to go, well, we believe this, but we think this way would be easier. Right? You can do this in everything in your life. We believe the Bible says this is the best way to raise kids, but gosh, them just watching TV is so much easier. That may be an ouch and not an amen. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we can do that, right? And that's, it's the theology that's got to drive us drives us to action. We believe we should be investing in our children. We believe we should be doing missions according to the Bible. And we've got to prevent all those things that are going to try to pull us away because the enemy hates us being on the task. So, step number four is on page seven. I'm going to have to go really quick. All right? But I I want us to read this text together if we could. So Ephesians chapter three, it's in there on page seven, so you don't have to look it up. Um, But I recommend you you know this text. Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, says in chapter 3, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that, praise God, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I don't know if you realize that, but Paul's talking about you. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone which is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I think I did this quite sufficiently yesterday, 
Um, I think I tried to show that the church is central to missions, that it cannot be accomplished apart from the local church. It doesn't matter how great a parachurch organization is, if they stop being a come-alongside, that's what para means, if it stops being a come-alongside of a local church and tries to do something totally uh, separate from the local church, they can't actually accomplish the Great Commission. Why? Because there is no such thing as a churchless disciple. The only problem with churchless disciples is what, Justice? Oh, they beat you. <laughs> the Bible, right? The Bible doesn't say that there's any such thing as a churchless disciple. But the, the last two to three decades, they've got this idea that we can do churchless missions. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And so I, I'm going to give you those eight things that, that are there. Uh, I'm not going to be able to go through all of them, but I want you to just be able to, to read them. That's, they're there for you. <clears throat> that kind of proves the point that I think I proved yesterday. I'm just gonna, I, I was going to overprove it, I guess. But my point is God's mission, by His design, will be accomplished through the church. That was the way it always happened throughout the New Testament. Um, all the apostles and their contemporaries, co-laborers, they never even thought for a second that they could accomplish the task that Christ has given them apart from the local church. The Holy Spirit always works through local churches. Even when sending the very first missionaries in Acts chapter 13, which will, will be there very shortly. So if you want to grab your Bibles and head that direction, we'll be there soon. But missions is, when done biblically, from a local church to a local church. Okay? Missions is when a local church sends people to either plant, strengthen, or to enlarge the reach of another local church. That's biblical missions. So if there's missions that are going and there's no church involved, no hope of planting a new church, no hope of strengthening a new church or, or strengthening an old church, or no hope of enlarging the reach of another, of another church, then it's quite frankly just not missions. Okay? The church is required. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known now. This is what God has chosen to do from eternity past. So it is central. Just like it was central to uh, the accomplishment, accomplishment of the mission in the New Testament, it is central to the accomplishment of the mission today. The church is the one that still is holding up and holding out the gospel truth. It is still the one that is making disciples here uh, generationally and making gener uh, disciples that can be sent geographically to uh, grow new places. The members of local churches are the hands and feet that will continue Jesus' missions today. Without the church, I want you to understand, the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled right here much less anywhere else. Every subsection of O'Fallon, Missouri needs to hear the gospel. Every subsection. Do you know that God's plan for doing that is you? That's the scariest thing to me about it is God has one plan and no plan B. But Lord, what if we're very lazy? He still has no plan B. This is the way he has designed it to happen. Parachurch organizations that want to take over for the church are not the way that it will be accomplished. Our kids need to hear it. The grandkids need to hear it. They need to have faithful shepherds to lead them. You understand what we talked about yesterday. We are always one generation away from completely losing the gospel. One generation. That's what happened in the three pages between Joshua 24 and Judges chapter 2. One generation away, and then there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord nor the work He had done in Israel. How tragic is if, Judge, if Judges 2.10 would have to be written in 40 years about O'Fallon, Missouri. I don't want that. You want that? No. no. How's it gonna, how are we going to prevent that? The local church. The local church doing what God has called us to do. 
the average Christian is illiterate when it comes to missions. This is just true for lots of reasons. But most of the time, it's because no one has ever laid that foundation of missions for them. I grew up in a denomination that actually has the word missionary in the title of the denomination. And the first mission sermon I ever heard was when I preached. It's true. You see, so many times we think that seminaries and Bible colleges will grow the missionaries. Did you know that I'm unaware of any school that requires a missions course to be taken for someone to get a a degree in pastoral ministry? They have some as electives, but they don't require them. Why do we think that they're going to understand these things? They won't. Missions agencies are not the ones that make missionaries. The church is the only place. Every single missionary that DTN will ever send will come from a local church. Period. When, when somebody contacts us, you know there's mission agencies that won't even contact the local church? to see if that person has ever even carried chairs for the fellowship hall? They don't. It's my first call. When somebody contacts us and says, I, we are interested in missions, I said, tell me the name of your local church and your pastor. Oh, I don't really have one. Well, call me back when you do. <laughs> because I, we're not walking that path. You're not, I'm not going to train you for missions while you're on the field. The missionary training ground is right here. You need to have people that are carrying chairs. If nobody's going to carry chairs, there's no way they'll go serve Jesus overseas. Where are servant hearts taught? Right here. Where do people learn how to walk little ladies? We have little ladies at my church, and and our young men, our teenage boys, put their arms out, and we walk our little ladies to the car every week. And if they don't, I'm fine them. Hey, Miss Lindley's right there. Why has nobody got her? we got to learn. we got to be taught. These are the basic things that shape our faith. The local church is the means and the goal of missions every time. It's how God ordained it to be fulfilled through the sending to plant, strengthen, and enlarge the reach of other local churches. Every time, from a church to the church, that's the only way. Only way. And so ultimately, I, I want to show you that the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I'm trying to get you to do step number five. I want you to reassume ownership of the task. So for the last hundred years, for the most part, mission agencies have been an outsourcing solution for the church's missions, organization, missions strategies. It's something that mission agencies have been so willing to show up and say, hey, we're the pros, we'll take it from here. All we want you to do is send us your resources and your people. If you'll just pay, pray, and stay out of the way, we'll take over. Mission agencies have unfortunately done that. But I want to let you know that I don't think biblically that's right. So God has called one person to love my wife. That's me. I'm not allowed to hire out somebody to help me with that. For a couple of reasons. One, she'd kill me. But two, I don't think God would be satisfied. Because I think he would look and say, I called you to do that. I called you to that. This is one of those things that the church has, unfortunately, been benched sometimes by by mission agencies. Now, sometimes it's not been the mission agency's fault because lots of churches just go, you know, we just don't want to deal with it. Can we just write you a check? And I want you to know, either way, those are wrong. The church is supposed to be heavily involved in the development, the assessing, the sending and shepherding and serving of missionaries. Heavily involved. That doesn't mean you have to do everything. Global strategy is hard. Getting visas to get people in and out, 
is very difficult. Very few churches know a lot about con- contextualization, about what it means to get the gospel from one... Uh, me, as, a, as an English speaker, how do I have to go and learn another language and then be able to tell the gospel in that language? Very, very difficult. Every individual church is not supposed to be gifted at all these hundreds of things. This is where the parachurch mission agency can come alongside and help. We can also provide other resources that you may not have capabilities of having. So sometimes churches need mission agencies. About 98% of churches need them. Sometimes churches are really big and have lots of resources and they don't need them. And we say, great. The problem is not when a church goes, we want to do all these things, but we need help with some of these. The problem is, would you just take care of it for us and send them back to us when you're done? So I want you to reassume ownership. Churches have still loved missionaries. They still give to them. They still pray for them. But they haven't been the primary selectors and senders. And that's what we need to do. I do not believe that the Great Commission was given to a mission agency. I I believe it was given to the local church. That's why DTN, our goal is to come alongside the local church. And I know it's kind of rare. Because Mike and Justice, they're like, explain to us what you want to do. And I, really, I just want to come and serve. If, can I come and help? What? Like, well, how much will you try? Nothing. I just, I want to help. And, and I know it's different. But it's different because, I, one, part of my job is making sure the, the cooks are sent well. And I know no one is as equipped to send them well as you, their local church. It's the best way. You know, believe it or not, there was a time when churches actually thought they could not and should not send missionaries. When William Carey stood up and he gives his great discourse on reaching the heathen, as he put it, a man by the name of John Ryland Sr. stood up and he said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. I've heard that before. He said, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. But praise God, John Ryland Jr., the son, answered the call and actually worked with William Carey in the Baptist Missionary Society. People wanted to go, but nobody would send. And so mission societies were built. Many churches today are like this. They think it's just an individual thing. But I want you to know the individual cannot be the center of a sending process. One of the things we would say is you don't lay hands on yourself. Right? It's not your job to lay hands on yourself and say, the Lord has anointed me to do this. The Lord has set me apart to do this. No, it's the church that lays on the hands. The church is the one that is sending out to accomplish a task. The body has many members. And we should not be four lone wolves because we should not be for amputation of body parts. We must be sent through the body. This idea of lone wolf missionaries, which some agencies really push for, they want to find some guys that look SEAL Team 60, okay, and, and they think that they're tough enough to be able to handle all, all the rigors. And it's good. You need tough people. We want SEAL Team 6 kind of people. But we don't want people that, that avoid accountability. And that's what lone wolf stuff does. It reeks of this avoidance of accountability. And that, to, to be quite frankly, that's non-Christian. We welcome accountability. We, we tell our people, if you avoid accountability, you get to find a new organization. Right? Because we don't, we don't do that. So the individual cannot be at the center. The agency cannot be at the center. Most are by default, but they should not be. We're just vehicles to, get you, to help you get the message out. So we don't want to do missions on your behalf. We want to help you do it. I hope that makes sense. So biblically, the church is central to the mission and accomplishes what neither the individual missionary nor the agency can do. 
It increases the flow of workers, the flow of resources that are needed to accomplish the task. Where's there going to be more workers and more resources come from? The local church. As God brings more into the fold, it redeems more, it, that's the way it grows. It's always through the church. That's how God has chosen to not only accomplish it, but he's chosen also to be able to fulfill all the needs for it, the resources and the people that's going to be required for it. It's going to come from the local church. So the church must reassume ownership of the local church sending process. They must understand and embrace its strategic role. So we have a, a thing on our website. And, and what has happened, I just think, in a lot of missions is we've tried to decentralize it. We've decentralized missions from the local church. And so this, when this happens, here's what I think causes problems. I, I think it destroys local churches because it does a few, a few things. One, we don't have a vision of the world and our mission narrows. Me, growing up in a missionary um, denomination, my entire world was Atoka County, Oklahoma. I was 18 years old and I did not realize there was anything outside of the world. And we had one guy show up and he was going on a mission trip and I said, I think I want to go. And the first time I ever left Atoka County, Oklahoma, I got on a plane and flew to Malawi, Africa. Talk about a green kid that, that bit off more than he could chew. Why, oh why, did I... I started going to church nine months before I was born. Okay? Why did I not know anything about the world? Because the church had outsourced its missions. And so they never talked about it. It was something somebody else did. Missions ought to be something that we talk about so we don't lose the vision of the world, so our mission doesn't narrow. I was a self-centered Christian because it was all about me. We had no purpose that was outside of just, I'm here, you teach me, right? You entertain me. It's kind of about me. But in reality, it's not, isn't it? So we have to reject that false reality so we can embrace the truth that it's about Him. Two, what happens if we outsource and we don't assume our, the ownership? Sending muscles atrophy. When churches have gone 100 years without sending a missionary without actually being involved, those muscles are gone. They've gone generation after generation without doing anything. They don't know. So we have to start working muscles that have not been used in a long time. We fail to develop missionaries for sending and don't think about care, prayer, support. We're satisfied with writing checks. That's the only muscle we exercise so many times. And when we do this, it also causes us to fail to develop our disciples to maturity. If you look at most churches that have outsourced their missions, they don't disciple their, their, their people to maturity because there's no goal, there's no purpose. Missions is what other people do. Leadership is what other people do. We have one or two people and we show up and you get to watch one or two people use their spiritual gifts and the rest of us just sit. And that's not the Bible's description of the church. It's everybody using their gifts to encourage and strengthen one another until the whole body is built up to maturity. Read Ephesians 4, please. Another thing that happens is we lack the urgency that's required for our task. If we think we'll just outsource it and we'll give it... The, I mean, yesterday, was anybody thrown back by the numbers of unreached, unengaged people groups? So many times when we outsource missions, we think, well, we've got to be getting close. The things that they tell us, they've got to be getting close. Well, do you know wh why? Uh, I, every Thursday morning, I train pastors in Malawi, Africa, through Zoom. Uh, spend a couple hours with them, do theological ministerial training. And uh, the numbers there, they, they have a really hard time because we do a lot of short-term trips there. Not we. U.S.-based missions do a lot of short-term stuff there and so if you read the reports of mission agencies every person in malawi has been saved six times 
And so if those are the reports that you're getting about the thousands that are coming to Christ, the millions that are coming to Christ, the thousands of churches that are being planted, well, it sounds like we're almost done, doesn't it? But when you look at the truth, we're not done. We've got a long way to go. And so when we outsource and we assume other people's going to do it, we lose the urgency that's required. If we reassume it, then now everybody's going to know we've got a job to do, right? Don't we need that? Some of you guys are less on board this morning than you were yesterday. (laughs) Also, if you have, have a high missiology and a low ecclesiology, this will cause you to send without churches. And that gives the task always to the individual, and it takes away the rights and authority of a local church, and that's a problem. This means that missions that does not value the church here will not value the church there. And churchless missions are not God's mission. Cutting out from the church, cutting out the church for missions is just like cutting out the Bible. It just doesn't work. Biblical churches are communities of missions. They are missions outposts. Biblical mission seeks to create new missions outposts, new churches, other places that more mission outposts can happen. The proclamation of the gospel helps create new churches and will sound forth from them. It should be a hub, a base for gospel expansion into the surrounding neighborhoods and of the world. Liberty is here in O'Fallon. You've got to get all the O'Fallon, and then you've got to still be thinking about how do we get Southeast Asia too? So this first session, (laughs) this was supposed to be the whole first session. Yesterday I was supposed to finish with starting well requires us to have a theology that drives us to action. We've got to have that foundation right if we're going to be able to build anything on it that is going to have an effort that will be God-honoring and biblically faithful. So questions becomes really simple. How well is this foundation laid at Liberty Church? I don't know. I'm not seeking even an answer. But I'm asking you to think. How is this in your church, in your churches? I know we've got three or four different churches here. How is this foundation laid at your church? Are you seeing this in the culture of who you are? Is this causing this outworking, this urgency? Is this... Is there people that are seeking to build these muscles so that we can accomplish the task? Is it happening? So I've got some reflective questions for you in your book. I think I do. Yeah, I can give you some. So it is wise for us to think right now. I want to move more into a very practical time, okay? Lots of just me yelling at you yesterday and this morning, but let's move into some practical things. Because of this foundation that's been laid, let's think about how do we move forward. So is there things that are required for you, necessary for you to do as your local church to more closely align yourself with the biblical Great Commission? Are, you, are there things that you've seen needs to happen? I'd even take a comment. Is this going to be like blood from a turnip sort of thing? Can you ask the question again? Yeah. Is there something in your church that you feel like you need to do, need to change in order to more closely align your church with the biblical view of the Great Commission that has been presented? Absolutely. 
matter of fact, I'll go a little bit farther to say that um, to avoid being used is to quench the Spirit. Right? And that's one of the reasons. You know, we have so many churches. I'm not telling you to read this book, but there's a book out titled called The Forgotten God. And the idea behind it is the Holy Spirit. We tried to build churches with avoiding the idea that there's a Holy Spirit that works among us. There's a Holy Spirit that indwells us. And, and I've been teaching through, I teach doctrinally through our, to our people on Wednesday nights. And I'm actually teaching Holy Spirit right now. And, and so what we've, pneumatology, what the study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is. And um, that was the, one of the things I said, is w- one of the worst ways to quench the Spirit is to act like He doesn't exist. And how many of us do that in our daily lives? Right? We walk around and let's just pretend like He's not there. Well, that quenches the Spirit. Is there anything that you as an individual, and you don't have to tell me this, that you might need to repent of? Some type of attitude or an approach toward God's plan for the nations, for missions, ministry, or maybe what you feel like the church should be. I think it's wise anytime the the scripture comes and teaches us that we allow the scripture to have that authority over us and we acknowledge right every time uh, I, I love bible translation but there's so many people that get frustrated with bible translation because they don't want to do things that they even have these conversations about well maybe we shouldn't translate this 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 way because that culture might be offended and i always go have you never read the bible because <laughs> it offends me every day <laughs> so we need to allow the scriptures to offend us and ask the Lord to soften our hearts if we're hardened. We need to ask the Lord to, to align our affections with the truth. Because we may want something else. But it's a lot of times it, it's repentance and belief. That's what a person has to do. Let's just go ahead and state this. For a person to become a Christian, they must repent and believe. And then daily, a Christian repents and believes. It is your job description for the rest of your life. You repent and believe. You repent and believe. And tomorrow, you're going to get up and you're going to repent and believe. And then probably by lunch, I'm going to have to repent and believe again. Right? I need the gospel. I need to remember it. So here's, let's go to the appendix number one, which will be on page 45. I want to show you this now, but do this at the break or at lunch. I want you to, to do what we call the mission's priority scale and rundown. This is, again, where the practical stuff begins. So for your church, I, I want you to think about in your local church, how are we doing while accomplishing the Great Commission? So this is uh, something I stole from uh, an organization called Propimpo International. David Mead there is one of my He's a good friend of mine and a dear brother, and he allowed me to use this, and I'm thankful because it's better than I could have wrote. But he he developed this a long time ago, and he said, in your church, do you consider these things either a possibility, a project, a program, a priority, a purpose, or a passion? And so he describes these. On the left, these are kind of examples of what a possibility would look like, a, a project, and these are attitudes towards it. This is uh, how... Uh, how well it's implemented in your local church. And then you take this idea of possibility, project, program, priority, purpose, or passion, and go over to the missions in church rundown on page 45. And you think about the theological foundation of mission in our church. Is that something that it's kind of a possibility that we might do? Or is it a project, something we work on sometimes? Is it a program? Is it a priority? Is it a purpose? Is it a passion? And this is a good place to start because it kind of lines out and and you get a chance to look at it and go, here's where we stand currently. And I want to just go ahead and remind you to be gracious here. Don't be gracious and lie about where you are. 
But be gracious and remember, no matter where you are, the Lord is still here working and moving. And that's the great part about stuff like this, is you can show up and go, oh man, we're failing, and I'm not saying you are, I have no idea, okay? But even if you were to say, we're failing, these things are just possibilities all the way down the board. We can start looking at, okay, what do we do to move them up? How do we move it from a possibility to a project? And recognize this is a long-term thing. This is not something you can just flip on and it runs perfect, okay? But this is something that you can begin to invest in your people all the way down through your kids and, and watch. Your kids are liable to go so much farther than, than you'll be able to. But that's what we want, right? I'm so thankful for my, my mentors. I was telling somebody the other day about how, how great my mentors were and how so much I appreciated them. But they were so flawed in so many areas. But I'm thankful that I get to see a little farther. And I know that my kids and my grandkids are going to say, thankful for, for dad, he's flawed in so many areas. But it was just the grace of the Lord as he's purifying us. We want to keep going farther for the sake of the gospel. Okay? So don't beat yourself up too much if you have some possibilities or projects and if you're not all passions on this thing. Okay? But that'll help you. Take a good look at where you are, maybe individually and also as a local church. So the second section is what I call serve well. So after we go to the foundational aspect, we have to figure out how do we take it from there and how do we actually start this process. And so again, I want to just step back and say it's not just theology that drives us to action, but that theology is also the thing that directs our actions. This is really where we have to allow the theology to become our guardrails to prevent us from doing something else. We've acknowledged that bad theology leads to really bad missiology. And bad missiology produces more bad theology around the world. We want to avoid that. And so we've got to come up with what's the strategy, what's, what's our missions organization going to look like in our church what, what, sort, what sort of mission program can we build that is driven by these theologies that we do believe deeply to our core? And how do we protect those things so that we can ensure we accomplish it? Right? And so I want to give you a few ideas. One um, allows theology to draw that line in the sand, just like I said before. Allow it to focus your efforts in missions. Allow it to hone your work until you're doing precision work. Now, let's talk about some challenges. Uh, here's what happens. <clears throat> I, I've been in a lot of churches, and so... <laughs> do you have missionaries? Yeah, we've got, I don't know, three, four, seven, or... Uh, yeah, you know how many? 11? 11? We've got 11? Right. We have no clue. Right. That happens all the time. And I also be in a lot of churches and like, oh yeah, we've got a guy and he, um, we give him $100,000 a year and he goes and helps stray puppies in Kenya. Right? Now, I picked something really strange hoping that you don't have that. Because... <laughs> I will offend you for the sake of the gospel all day, but I won't offend you just for the sake of being a jerk. I don't want to do that. So, um, I'm not trying to be a jerk. But here's my point. In churches, one of the problems that we run into is everybody has pet projects. And everybody's going to have this thing about, hey, we should, my mentor always told me, don't let people should on you. Right? Don't let them say, you should do this and you should do that. Right? He was a little uncouth. But we have to guard these things. And so when we're coming up with this, we have to let theology direct us so much that we become precision in what we do. Because if we're not precise, then everybody's going to come in. And so before you get started, before you open up for opportunities and missions, really take a lot of time to develop what your policy will be. Because if your policy can say no for you, it makes things way much easier. Right? 
Now, understand me well. We've talked a lot about what is the mission of the church. We talked about what is not the mission of the church. But that does not mean that people in your church can't have these other missions. It's okay for, for people in your church to have things that they give to. And it's okay for them to, and you even to encourage them to give to. And it's okay for it not to be in the church's budget. Right? But just because somebody shows up and says, you know, I know this guy and he's doing this thing. If it's not the church's mission, it's okay. You should give to that. Let us know so we can pray for them. But it's not necessarily something that needs to go in the church's budget. And so this is me lovingly and gently saying, this will happen if you don't guard that. Okay? And our resources are limited. Right? How, we, how well we can be involved in each of these things are limited. And so we have to be precise. So think through these things heavily on the beginning stages, and it will save you a lot of heartache later. Okay? All right. My goal here is to help you think biblically, not emotionally. Right? Biblically. What are we aiming for? New converts, new churches, nurtured communities, nurtured leaders, next missionaries. These are the things we're doing, right? And it is biblical to steward gospel resources well. You understand, if you had a billion dollars, you can't feed everybody in, in a day, right? And so you steward the resources. There are far more needs out there than you have the ability to meet. And so this is why we determine what is Christ calling us to do what is Christ calling you as Liberty Church and all these other churches to do? And so how do we get on task with Him? So think through these things. How do you develop effective short-term missions? Uh, how do you develop national partnership? Now, let me go ahead and state this. Sponsorship is not partnership. Okay? So before you do this, one of the things I recommend... Uh, we don't allow anybody to go on the field who's not read a book called When Helping Hurts. Um, when Helping Hurts is a great, tremendous book about missions, and I, I highly recommend it. Uh, another one that you might be interested in, if you guys are more DVD series, there's a DVD series called The Poverty Cure, uh, and it's pretty good. Um, I'm not saying that either one of these things are perfect. But it will help you think through how do we make an impact without making the people that we're trying to impact reliant on us. Okay? So let's talk through a few things. Oh gosh, I don't know what y'all have done, so I'm really trying not to hit you here. That's all right. Well, uh, let me just go ahead and say that most of these things I know because I've done them, right? <laughs> And then I realized afterwards that was not wise. So, let's be gracious, okay? Um, you know, let me, let's just be honest. There's millions of dollars spent every year sending teenagers down to some place to, to paint a house. Right? You know there's painters where they go? Yep. You know, you just took a job from somebody? Yep. And do you know that most of these places, they... As soon as the paint is done, they'll send in some graffiti artist to tag it up real good so that next week another group of teenagers can come down and paint the same house. Because it just makes tons of money. But it makes those people not self-sufficient. It makes them reliant on outside help. Right? And so let's think through our strategies on how can we help make a long-term impact with the resources that we have and how we go and share and do missions. These are all things that we have to think through deeply before we actually get to go and start the strategy. So these are unbiblical methods. More unbiblical methods like we talked about yesterday, DMM, T4T, Four Fields, all those types of things. If you're interested, if anybody is interested in DMM stuff, uh, I, so I, I was going to actually do giveaways uh, of these books, but instead what I think I want to do is I want to, to give these to uh, the Liberty Missions team, okay? Don't know if you have a missions team yet, 
but Lord willing, you will, okay? And so uh, I want to give those to that, and I want to walk you through a few of them real quick. So this is DMM. I've got this many extra DMM. If anybody really wants to know more about DMM, I'll just leave them up here, and you guys can come grab them. A great introductory book. You've got to educate yourself in missions, okay? Great introductory book to um, different cultures is this book right here called by Sarah Lanier, L-A-N-I-E-R, and it's called Foreign to Familiar. It is a tremendous, tremendous book. If you get it and just read the preface, the introduction of the book, it will be worth your, it's worth the price of admission, okay? There, there's so many things that we mess up culturally in our own, in our own location because we don't understand what the Spanish-speaking people down the street do. Lots of times we relationships break down and things because we don't understand culture. For you readers, John Payton, uh, this is a, a great missionary autobiography. I highly recommend. Great little book. No Shortcut to Success. This is a new Nine Marks Crossway uh, book on missions. Great book as well. Serving as Senders today. Neil Parolo is really the first guy that, that started talking about sending and a tremendous brother in the Lord. Uh, highly recommend this little book. John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life, just because I had about 50 copies of these and I'm trying to get rid of them. Book. Great book. Yeah, love the book. But I, I, I get them for Father's Day and we'll pass them out to our church and if I have leftovers. I... This is a new book that was just written um, this last couple of years uh, by a guy named Chad Vegas and Alex Kochman. Alex is at ABWE, and it's very interesting because ABWE is actually a church planting uh, movements organization, and he writes against movements. I'm kind of shocked he's still with them. Um, but this is great because he, they talk through how theology and missions walk together. Tremendous book. And then here's 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. Great biography. has lots of mission biographies. We've got to read biographies. Yep. So there you go. I hope those things are valuable to you. So we've got to develop ideas on how to do this. So poor versus effective short-term missions. Unfortunately, too many short-term missions are highly expensive and then offer a low benefit. In 2012, American churches spent $2.4 billion on short-term missions. Ralph Winner, I've quoted him quite a bit actually this time, but he called short-term missions the amateurization of missions. So here's what I want to say. The Great Commission can never be accomplished through short-term missions. It can never be accomplished through short-term missions. It can be aided by short-term missions, but it's career missions that will always accomplish the Great Commission. So let's do some math. So you have 20 teenagers, okay? And you send 20 teenagers to Mexico, right? Uh, 20 teenagers to Mexico and they spend seven days in country. So that is equals to 140 days, 20 times seven, right? It's 140 days in country, technically, of manpower. And it costs you what? say about $2,000 a piece, so you spent $40,000 to get 140 days in country. Now what value is it? $40,000, 140 days in country, there's zero gospel conversation because nobody speaks Spanish. Right? There's nothing in depth, there's some friendly stuff, there's some encouraging things, certainly. There's a great influence for the kids, Lord willing. You know, some of the, the teenagers will be well impacted or for $40,000 you could get a missionary there that would stay 365 days and have gospel conversation so some of these things we, we need to think about now, now here's the problem because we don't have a really good robust theology of missions it's really hard to raise support sometimes for missions now people are willing to give uh, there's a mission agency that contacted me last year and 
having some issues because they were trying to fill in some spots for some of these other trips and never could get anybody to sign up, but they signed up a trip to go to Greece and they had 84 people sign up to go to Greece. Nobody wanted to go to Africa. Nobody wanted to go to Honduras. Nobody wanted to go do these things. Oh, but we will shell out the money to get to go to Greece. Right? So, you know, my encouragement is, just, let's think about it. If you have people that are only wanting a vacation, let's just let them go on vacation. You know, I know I'm being mean here. I'm not trying to be mean, but it, these are things we actually have to think about. Yep. You know, sometimes we cause a lot of problems when we send 84 people to Greece on vacation and call it a missions trip. Because the people in Greece that are unbelievers, they're thinking this is what Christianity is. I would rather them not see that. So, let's do short-term missions. But let's do short-term missions that have long-term impact. Let's think about how to do that better. And also, I think that we need to recommend that we put the place of the missionary back where it belongs. Missionaries are to be professionals. That's what I call our missionaries. The type of, type of missionaries that DTN wants to work with are professionals who will get their hands dirty. Because sometimes you have these professionals that only want to you know, get up and just talk to other professionals. and That's not the kind of missionaries we want. We want missionaries that are willing to get their hands dirty. And sometimes we send people that are willing to get their hands dirty, not we. But sometimes people go overseas and they're willing to get their hands dirty, but they're not pros. They have no clue what they're doing. Right? They don't know about who God is. They don't know the gospel. But they go over there and they help and do lots of great stuff. But it's not missions. Right? So let's put the missionary role back as where it belongs. It's the professional. So, step number two. Develop a missions strategy. Now, my recommendation, and this is, again, of course, to your churches. Every church is, operates differently. Some are committee-driven. Some are mission-team-driven. Uh, team some are elder-ruled. Everything is different. Sometimes they have a board. I don't know what works for you and your church. But I think to start, you've got to create a missions team. And as a structure, do whatever fits best. Right? I want to say, though, that your elders have got to be involved. Your elders have got to be involved. It needs to come from them. That theology needs to come from them. That further proclamation of it needs to come from them. So you can do it like a committee if you want to. You can have a chairperson, treasurer. You can uh, set it up so that each different aspect of, of what your missions are going to do is covered by a leader. So if you're, if you're serving in three different countries, you could set it up where this guy's Central America, this guy's Africa, and this guy's Asia, right? If that's what you wanted to do. Uh, you can also set it up where this guy's going to do prayer support, this guy's going to do fundraising, this guy's, right? However it works for you, I don't care. I just want you to do it, right? So set up something that works for you. Now here's the purpose. The purpose of a mission team is to be, now, now this is, let, let's go ahead and state this for any doubters, I guess. The missions team should be those leaders but you have to recognize, you want to start teaching all of your congregation to do this? You want to start educating all of your people about God's purpose throughout the world for His glory? What God is ultimately accomplishing? There's going to be a lot of Christians get to heaven and be like, what are all these other people doing here? <laughs> right? I don't want that to happen. I want them to understand. And so sometimes what you do is you're acknowledging that this is not just the elder's role. Missions is not my job, right? And so when you do a missions team, you're bringing in these other people and you're saying, this is your job. And your job is to also help other people in the church to realize it's their job too. So it's not a missions team that says nobody else can be a part. It's the exact opposite of that. It's the mission team that says, come on, guys, we'll charge the hill together. Yes. Right? I'll lead, but we'll go together. So the missions team goal is to provide a focused strategy. And that has to come with elder input. 
a championing, championing attitude has to be there. People that will champion this idea that missions is what we're called to do. They will provide a practical structure, oversight for anything that they might need, but ultimately they need to have a commitment to engaging the entire church. Okay? This is what the mission team needs to do. Their job is to help establish a biblical vision and strategy of missions for the church according to the convictions of the church. So all those convictions we talked about should be included in yours. But that may not be all the convictions you have. You may have other convictions. And that's okay. That's good. I want you to have them. I didn't tell you all of mine either. Right? But the goal is to work to encourage and strengthen missions throughout the whole church with an emphasis on education, prayer, and mobilization. Ultimately, the, the mission team's job is to help the church become awakened to the role of, of their role in missions. Right? I, I hope some of you are coming awake to this idea. That you've been here long Last night and this morning was enough that you're like, oh, this is something that we should be doing. But also what I'm hoping you're getting is this is something we can do. Yeah. Right? You can do it. So they can do lots of things. They can plan and implement mission conferences. They can develop policies and procedures. They can help with annual budgets. They can help members of the church to respond to God's call to missions. They can do lots of stuff. But those, you just got to have a missions team, I think. Missions committee, whatever you want to call it. Who are the best people to serve on the missions team? People that have a heart for the Lord and for great commission ministries. So people with great experience are awesome if you can have them, but if you don't have them, that's okay. Right? You can teach some of those things. If somebody has zero passion for the worship of God among all peoples, it's going to be impossible for them to be on the mission team. Right? And so get somebody with that heart. <clears throat> get people that are fat. Faithful, available, and teachable. Right? We need more fat people. Okay. Now, this is tricky because sometimes you have a lot of people that are faithful and sometimes they're faithful and teachable but they're not available. And that's just challenging. Right? And so find fat people that can be on the team. Faithful, available, teachable. <clears throat> Understand you need, you need to have people on the team that understand that this is not separate from the church, but is to help lead the church in this mission of the church. Again, we don't invent the mission, we receive the mission. Our mission is to be something along the lines of exalt the Lord, evangelize unbelievers, edify and equip believers to maturity and multiplication from here to the ends of the earth. That's what God has called the church to do. You can be fancy with it. You can be cute with it. I don't care what your church's mission statement is. But we need to have something about this is it. And this missions team is, should be the one that helps lead that charge. You need to have people that are prayer, prayer warriors. It's best to have a wide range of giftings and talents and capabilities, but you need to have people that know how to pray. Okay? That are willing to learn how to pray for missions. Uh, speaking of which... We do have a little resource out there in the back that you can put in your Bible. And it's just a, a card that can show you how to pray for missions every day of the week. For missionaries. And I'll try to pass those out or something. But please take some of those. I, I brought like 500. So take as many as you've got Bibles. I don't care. <clears throat> but this, church, uh, this <clears throat> team should be the praying team. Now, the other thing this team is going to do... <clears throat> is they're going to help the church to understand the roles in missions. So let me tell you one thing, and then we'll take a quick break. Most mission agencies, I'm sorry, most mission conferences stop uh, a little bit too early in Romans 10. Let's go to Romans 10 real quick. I'm doing these things out of order, but I'm trying to think of what I'm going to cut out on the fly. I apologize. Romans chapter 10. Everybody on phones, I guess? I hear no pages turning. That always breaks my heart. Uh. 
So Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So Paul here starts a list of rhetorical questions. Okay. How can they call on him in whom they've not believed? Answers, they can't, right? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Answers, they can't, right? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer is, they can't. Now, most missions conferences end right there. Verse 15, how are they to preach unless they're sent? So one of the things that we have got to settle in our hearts today is the roles that there are in missions. Uh, John Piper once said, you've got three options when it comes to the Great Commission. You can either go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. Right? What I hope people understand today is there, there needs to be lots more senders than we have. What time is the break supposed to start? I don't know if I can do it in four minutes. Let's take an early break.